Welcome. Listen to this next Agile Vocalist podcast. I think also in a post-pandemic world, a lot of the people that have been caring for the dying nonstop will need support and care. And my hope um, and Harps of Comfort is making some inroads um, trying to offer this. My hope is that we could also be present for caregivers as they um, process and reflect on what this time Mm. um, in hospital settings was. Experiencing emotions is work. I mean, every psychologist knows that, right? And everyone in therapy knows that. But in, in, you know, there's a lot of parts of our culture where we don't talk about the work because emotions come into the body, right? And they make chronic issues. And if you don't process, the body traps that, yes. right? So as physical beings, um, it's just interesting. It's really, <laughs> um, and I love to find those sort of really obvious things that we all know, but it, until someone actually says that, you're like, Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think of it, you know, it's another kind of labor. You know, the, the com- comparisons between childbirth and dying are very common. But I think this word labor is really yeah. meaningful in this context because there's so much labor. The labor of letting go of your life, the labor of saying goodbye to your loved ones, right. the labor of sort of closing out this conversation that you're having together and trying to tolerate these feelings you know this overwhelming feeling whatever it is in a com- no doubt a sort of complicated matrix of emotions depending yeah. on how yeah. the relationship is and how the system works um i mean one of the one of the things about music and one of the reasons why i think it's effective is that um, people don't have to put anything into words in a music vigil they don't have to explain themselves to me right. Right. they don't have to um they don't have to tell me their story. Mm-hmm. I just, no matter how complicated it is, or they're welcome to, and many families do share things with me. Right. But I really, really want the music to mediate the connection, to be the kind of one in between us so that um, I don't have to sort of ex- explain lots of stuff about myself and they don't have to explain lots of stuff. And, you know. We've all changed with um, coronavirus. We've all been affected and it's domino effects and how it affects one thing and then the next and the next from all sorts of standpoints has been, um, you know, really shattering. Can you talk about, you know, because your work is typically at bedside, wherever that bed may be. um, Can you talk about how you've pivoted and what you've done in response to COVID-19. This is so exciting to me because it's it's an area I'm passionate about, virtual music. I'll let you. Absolutely. Sure, sure, sure. So um, last March, just about a year ago, um, I started just thinking and thinking and thinking. Once it became clear that we were on lockdown and the schools were closed and people were dying and they were dying all over the world, Of course, it became clear to me that this work of music thanatology, which had always been kind of a, 
like sort of off to the side, right? I'd always been like your friend who can talk about hospice. Like I'm your friend that you call when you want to talk about death and dying and you don't really know how to do it. Um, all of a sudden, you know, everything on the news is about PPE. Everything on the news is about ventilators and ICUs and intubations and extubations. And, you know, all things I had been witness to, I thought, you know, music thanatology really has something to say um, to this moment. Um, music thanatology could really accompany people as they go through this, but we're no longer allowed into medical institutions. How are we going to do this? And I worried and worried, worried about it for a few weeks. And then I got a tweet from a physician I'd never met, um, Dr. Jennifer McKinnon at Frederick Hospital in Wisconsin. And she said, I'm a harpist and a doctor, and I'd like to work with you to help bring music into ICUs. And I know a sign when I see one, <laughs> so I said, yes. Um, so slowly, 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 uh, over the course of many months, I gathered a group of music thanatologists and other therapeutic musicians, um, along with Dr. McKinnon, and we just started talking about how we could do this remotely. What would this look like? The upshot was that in September, we started playing for COVID patients in the ICU at the hospital where Dr. McKinnon worked. And um, we went through, uh, we developed a referral process. Um, we had a setup wherever the harpist was. Um, there are eight harpists and they have setups, you know, in their homes. Um, and uh, on the unit, the patients have an iPad mm -hmm. and um, they play remotely. And I will say that before COVID, I would probably have made a strident argument that live music was always better because you could respond in the moment and you could feel the vibration and you have the interpersonal and the nonverbal information. And I have to say, based on what we've observed, um, I would say that um, it's not better or worse than live or recorded music. It is its own entity. That's what I think that we're learning to do this through a screen, um, just as you and I are having a conversation. Right. It isn't the same as being on the phone. It isn't the same as going on a walk together. Right. It's a different, unique thing. Um, you know, one of the harpists said that they had a patient visit and the patient said, I've never been so close to a harp. But of course the harp was thousands of miles away. Right. They felt like they were close to the harp. Right. Now, I've had harpists who shared that they could actually observe the patient's respirations better over the iPad than sometimes in person because if wow. the placement was right, they could just see so much more of what was going on for the patient than if they were in a, you know, a busy hospital room or a place where it was hard to get close or that right. kind of thing. So, um you know, there's the benefit of um, being able to see patients anywhere in the world. The harpists of Harps of Comfort are all across the country. Yeah. So we did eventually form into this organization called Harps of Comfort. And we have a, um, a fiscal sponsor called mm -hmm. Community Initiatives, which just means that they are our... Um, they take your funding. Yeah. They take our funding yeah. and they also provide administrative support. So right. we're a project of Community Initiatives. Um, so we were very lucky to, to find them and have them support us. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, we are funded through donations. And mm -hmm. so we can always say yes to patients because we don't receive payment from them. Right. Um, so we can see anyone who wants uh, to see us. 
And um, it's just been very interesting to begin to think about uh, what will happen in a post-pandemic world for, for remote music. But, you know, my hope is that we will continue to sort of develop our capacity to see people remotely and serve people who have been underserved before now. Right. Because they couldn't have in-person music. Right. Um, So you talked a little bit about um, virtual music hopefully living on. What do you hope? I mean, beyond that, is there more that you hope will stay from this sort of time of you know shattering and then rebuilding how we think about music how we think about music experiences um Mm -hmm. what would you like to hold on to would you like to hold on to you know doing some of your time with harps of comfort and some in person like what's what's your your vision for i don't know nine months from now on let's let's be hopeful (laughs) sure sure um love the in-person work. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so personally, I would imagine a combination. Mm-hmm. But one of the factors of my whole career, because there aren't that many music thanatologists, has been people call me and they say, you know, um, can you drive 500 miles away to play? For you? You're the only one I know who's nearby. Can you drive 500 miles tomorrow to play for my loved one? And I've always had to say no. Um, but now I know something new, which is I can play for that person remotely. And it really solves the problem for a very small field. Yes. <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> you know, has wanted to serve more patients, but hasn't always been able to. Um, so I'm excited about those possibilities. Uh-huh. And there is something very special about being physically present with people. And I think because of the long separation that we've had, I will very likely value it more than I ever have in my entire life to be able to be physically present with people. Yeah. Um, to be able to play, to bring, you know, the physical instrument of the harp into the room with people to share that, um, you know, that space and air and vibration and all of that together. Um, it's very special. So my hope is that we'll, you know, be able to continue to do both. I think also in a post-pandemic world, a lot of the people that have been caring for the dying nonstop will need support and care. And my hope, um, and Harps of Comfort is making some inroads um, trying to offer this, my hope is that we could also be present for caregivers as they um, process and reflect on what this time mm. um, in hospital settings was, you know, when, when the numbers decline significantly, when they're able to get a breath, um, you know, to provide that kind of musical space uh, for their mm. own emotional processing. The Marie Howe poem is called uh, Hurry. Uh, Marie Howe is a just incredible poet. This poem is from a book called uh, The Kingdom of the Ordinary, but she also has a book called What the Living Do, which I cannot recommend highly enough. Um, 
that uh, she wrote about, um, she had a brother who died in his twenties and it's uh, a kind of lot of poems about going through that. Anyway, wow. this is about um, uh, errands, which, <laughs> and uh, I think uh, many of us can probably relate. It's called hurry. We stop at the dry cleaners in the grocery store and the gas station in the green market and hurry up, honey, I say, hurry. As she runs along two or three steps behind me, her blue jacket unzipped and her socks rolled down. Where do I want her to hurry to? To her grave, to mine, where one day she might stand all grown? Today, when the errands are finally done, I say to her, honey, I'm sorry I keep saying hurry. You walk ahead of me, you be the mother and Hurry up, she says over her shoulder, looking back at me, laughing. Hurry up now, darling, she says. Hurry, hurry, taking the house keys from my hands. Oh, that's great. <laughs> I love that poem. And it says so much about sort of the before times. Yes. After times. And yes. what is it that we're going to keep? And what are we going to let go of? And, right. you know, how much precious time we've had uh, if if we live with our loved ones, how much more time we've had with them in the last year. So I'll just share one more poem, which I wrote um, that was published in uh, a literary magazine called uh, Crosswinds Poetry Journal. Uh, it's about music thanatology. Oh, it's, beautiful. It's called How I Can Do It. I go to the bedside. Along the way, I reach for God like a kite out the window. There is no tenderness like the welcome of a stranger. Welcome for my strange harp. Welcome for the old songs. You know, when, when the numbers decline significantly, when they're able to get a breath, um, you know, to provide that kind of musical space uh, for mm -hmm. their own emotional processing. The Marie Howe poem is called uh, Hurry. Uh, Marie Howe is a just incredible poet. This poem is from a book called uh, The Kingdom of the Ordinary, but she also has a book called What the Living Do, which I cannot recommend highly enough um, that uh, she wrote about, um, she had a brother who died in his twenties and it's uh, a kind of lot of poems about going through that. Anyway, wow. this is about, um, uh, errands, which, <laughs> and uh, I think uh, many of us can probably relate. It's called hurry. We stop at the dry cleaners in the grocery store and the gas station in the green market and hurry up, honey, I say, hurry. As she runs along two or three steps behind me, her blue jacket unzipped and her socks rolled down. Where do I want her to hurry to? To her grave? to mine, where one day she might stand all grown. Today, when the errands are finally done, I say to her, honey, I'm sorry, I keep saying hurry. You walk ahead of me, you be the mother. And hurry up, she says over her shoulder, looking back at me, laughing. Hurry up now, darling, she says, hurry, hurry, taking the house keys from my hands. Oh, that's great. <laughs> I, love that. 
I love that poem. And it says so much about sort of the before times, yes, after times, and yes. what is it that we're going to keep and what are we going to let go of? And, right. you know, how much precious time we've had uh, if, if we live with our loved ones, how much more time we've had with them in the last year. So I'll just share one more poem, which I wrote um, that was published in uh, a literary magazine called uh, Crosswinds Poetry Journal. Uh, it's about music thanatology. Oh, it's, beautiful. It's called How I Can Do It. I go to the bedside. Along the way, I reach for God like a kite out the window. There is no tenderness like the welcome of a stranger. Welcome for my strange harp. Welcome for the old songs. Death draws warm honey out of people. We will always remember you. God sits in the corner as broken-hearted grandma. I sit in the center as half angel. I sing slowly, pulling a teaspoon of focus away. The breath of one body begins to yield as the tulips yield in the breeze. The breath of one body slows, deepening. The others watch, leaning back into plastic chairs. Welcome for the simple music. Together we rock as we were rocked as children and soothed. There is no lullaby like this. No gentle boat, like a hand cradling a frightened hand. God and death have a silent conversation. Their words are a strangeness in the air. Not quite a storm, not quite a mood. In this butterfly bed, dying looks as fine as sleep and just as kind. It's all right. It's all right. We love you. You can go. That was inspiring. Be sure to listen again soon. Agile Vocalist is created and produced by Rachel Medanik. Contributing editor and design artists include Amanda Whitesell, Daisy Owen, Sasha Brandt, Chloe Medanik-Watt. Podcast music theme by Looperman. With special thanks to my husband, Dave.